You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Hope everybody is doing well on this cold, cold Sunday, but it's nice and warm in here, right? Amen. I want to welcome everybody that is online as well joining us today. It's good to see everybody. Um, I want to remind you, if, uh, if you are new to here at Homes, uh, that uh, at this time we usually take up our uh, giving time. And so uh, if you would like to give in person, you can do so as you go to exit this morning, or you can give via the QR code or online as you see there on the screen. Uh, but I want to encourage you to continually give generously to the mission and work that God is doing here. God is doing good things. And we'll talk a little bit about that today too, but uh, I'm very grateful and excited for what God is doing in our midst. If today is your first time or first time in a while, uh, we are continuing in our mini-series through the book of Acts. And as we are continuing through that mini-series in the book of Acts, uh, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And this is his final missionary journey that is recorded in the scriptures for us. And Pastor Walter started us last week on this. And we're in this third journey, and we're seeing where uh, this is taking place here. Paul is in Ephesus, and, and we pick up seeing God doing some extraordinary things through Paul. I mean, when we, when we ended the, ser- the sermon last week, we concluded um, over in uh, chapter um, 19, starting in verse 10, where it, it just says, this isn't on the screen, just listen, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Many great things have been happening through the work of God and Paul and how this mission is being accomplished and set forth. And so we're going to pick up today right off the tail end of that in verse 11. Before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been camping? You ever been camping? All right, for those of you that are nodding, you, you've maybe a picture in your mind or you've seen images of a campfire, right? Maybe some of you have like a little backyard fire pit at your house. I remember when I was a Boy Scout and we were camping and we were at Camp Onanwa, there was the gigantic campfire site that everybody came uh, every evening for the time of the campfire, right? And, and that campfire was huge because it was there for the entire camp and the, the land part was huge. I mean, it, it, it was probably about half the size of the sanctuary uh, or maybe even more. Uh, but you had that big fire pit there in the middle. And as it was time for the campfire to start, where our campsite was, we were probably about four to 500 yards away from that campsite. And as you were walking through the trail, it was very, very dark. Like you had to have your flashlight, you had to have it on and walking or else you're just in the pitch black. Now out there at Hananwa, it's, it's very dark and the stars, it's very, very beautiful. And you can kind of see it a little bit in front of you, but it's still very dark, okay? And as we're making our way, getting closer and closer to the campsite, or to the campfire site, you can see in the distance the glow that is starting to come off of that fire. And as you got closer and closer, everything around you was illuminated more and more and more. And by the time you got to the campfire, you could see everything. I mean, sitting at the very back row of that campfire, you could see there in the middle and out in the distance, the water, you could see things that were happening on the water because the glow of the campfire was so big and so bright that it illuminated the entire area. I want you to think about that and keep that in mind as we see this passage today. Because as Paul is continuing on this missionary journey, I've entitled the message today, Exalt Jesus. 
And when we exalt Jesus, when we worship him, when we give him the glory, the honor, and the praise, we praise him for what he's done, we praise him for what he's doing, we praise him for what he will do. And in Paul's life, we're going to see just remembering that idea of a fire that God could use him in powerful ways to make things so bright to the midst of the darkness that was around him. Keep that in your back pocket as we look at this towards the end. If you would, let's stand together. It's a short passage today. Let's stand together to honor the reading of God's word. Acts 19, starting in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. By the evil spirit, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they were fled out of the house, naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, for the truth that it is, Lord, the inerrant, divinely inspired word of you. God, we thank you, Lord, that has been preserved generations after generations, thousands of years Lord, so that we can sit here today under the teaching of your word and hear the truth of your word proclaimed. Father, as we spend this time together in these next few moments, Lord, I pray that every distraction would fade away. Father, that we would listen to what you may be saying to us today, Lord, that we would be listening with open ears, open hearts, open minds to respond to you, Lord, however you see fit. Father, above all things, Lord, we pray, God, that you would be glorified. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so for our passage today, we have to understand that we must exalt Jesus in our daily lives for his extraordinary works, his truth, and his power. And when we do so in obedience, we see the transformative power of the gospel on full display. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point is this. Exalt Jesus for his extraordinary works. Exalt Jesus for his extraordinary works. We've seen through this book so far how the Holy Spirit's power in believers does incredible things. Look again at verse 11. It tells us, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. We see this. We have to understand something. We, we've picked up right at the very beginning from the tail end, looking at verse 10 for a moment, of how the gospel proclaimed for two years so that everyone heard it. 
And here we see that Luke reminds us here in verse 11 that God is continuing to do these extraordinary things through Paul. And as they're preparing for this and I'm thinking through this, it's like, yeah, it's Paul. Like it's, it's the natural thing to hold Paul in such a high regard because of the great things that he does through, that God does through him. And, and we look at the New Testament, we see the majority of the New Testament is written by Paul. And it's like, yeah, this is Paul. But then we have to remember something that we covered just within the last half year. And it's the fact that at one point, that was not Paul's case. God was not doing extraordinary things through Paul at one point. Matter of fact, Paul was one that was against Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. He stood there in Acts 7 as Stephen is being stoned and gave approval for what was taking place. But we remember in Acts 9, 15 through 16, where God comes to Ananias and he tells him, but the Lord said, For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. We do know from the scriptures, from Paul's letters, from what we see in Acts, that Paul does suffer. Paul goes through so much for the sake of the name of the Lord. But God uses him in a powerful way. Somebody that was once an enemy of God, literally persecuting and killing Christians, God transforms and uses for the glory of his name. Just put a little aside in there. Don't ever think that you can't be used by God for something because of X. Whatever it was in your past, whatever you may be dealing with, Remember that God can and will do incredible things through you, but you've got to walk in submission and obedience to him. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. We see just how extraordinary the works are, do we not? Mere handkerchiefs or aprons that touch the skin of Paul are being carried to the sick and they're being healed of their diseases by that. That's pretty extraordinary, is it not? I don't know about you, but I don't want somebody's handkerchief touching me, right? (laughs) You don't want that. But here, Paul being used by God in such a powerful way, just the mere brushing of his skin It's able to be given to people that were sick and had diseases and they're being healed. That's extraordinary. Extraordinary. There's much to exalt Jesus for that we see here and what we know God has done through the scriptures. To take a murderer like Paul and use him, completely flip the script on his life. That's the gospel, is it not? We are all once enemies of God, but God intervenes. And our lives are transformed, and we're no longer enemies of God, but we are his children, adopted by God to be heirs with Christ because of what Jesus has done for us, taking our place on Calvary's cross and bearing the wrath of God in our place. So beautiful. So beautiful. We've seen it. Maybe we haven't had a handkerchief touch our skin and heal us of a disease, but we've seen the work of God in our own lives, have we not? Each and every one of us can stand and give an account of how God has done something miraculous in our life. If you are in this place or you are listening online and you are a follower of Jesus, you should give the example of I once was lost and dead, now I am alive in Christ because I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
been transformed. We have seen that power in our lives. You've been there when it seems that all hope is lost and you don't know what's gonna happen next, but God shows up and he reminds you of his faithfulness despite whatever you're going through, despite what it is you're wrestling with. He intervenes and he shows up and he reminds us, one, that he's never gone away. Sometimes I think we do that. We, we bubble in there and say, wait a second, God, you're not here. Where are you? Like, we, we have this idea in our mind that he's not the sovereign God of the world that sits on his throne and knows everything that happens. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't abandoned us. He is there with us. His Holy Spirit indwells us. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. I think about the extraordinary works of God and I think about the things that we've seen him do here. Think about what he's been doing just in the recent period of time here. And I know that there's, it seems like so many things happen all at once and sometimes it's really hard to wrap our minds around what God is doing in our midst. But just within the last year, we had two people come to faith that were baptized, one on Easter, one in June. And we celebrated that new life. Not only that, we've seen the fact that, that now here in our hallway, at least once a week, there's biblical counseling from Dr. Rod West helping people that desperately need to be guided along this life. They're being counseled. We have the beautiful partnership that we've had with all of our sister churches in this area, but the fact that St. Andrews, we have a space where they could come and worship God. That's an extraordinary work of God for our people to say, yes, Lord. This is an opportunity for them to have a place to worship, a partner in the community that is proclaiming the gospel. We see what God is in the midst of our, in our midst right now doing through trust and bilingual. Such an incredible, incredible thing that he's opening the pages and starting to turn on. Bringing tons of kids from this community and surrounding areas coming here to hear the gospel every single day through our hallways. Many of you people that are sitting in this room now, brothers and sisters, have prayed for years for what God is about to do to take place. We have prayed. We have asked God, Lord, please do an extraordinary work. We have all of this facility. We want to provide a place for people to come and hear about Jesus. And God has answered those prayers. He's answered those prayers. Besides that fact, through the generosity of what God is doing through this school, we're essentially getting a completely renovated building in second story that we could not handle on our own. Praise God. Exalt Jesus for his extraordinary works. Secondly, Exalt Jesus for his truth. Exalt Jesus for his truth. Verse 13. 
Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. We see these these traveling Jewish exorcists. They take it upon themselves to go and invoke the name of Jesus over these spirits. But notice what they say there in that second half of 13. Whom Paul proclaims. Whom Paul proclaims. What's interesting about that? Well, simply put, these exorcists, they're not believers. They don't know who Jesus is. They say we we do this by the name of, of this Jesus whom Paul proclaims. It's a pretty big difference, right, between them and Paul. They don't know who Jesus is, and it's evident by their words by whom Paul proclaims, not who we proclaim by the name of Jesus, but whom Paul proclaims. Then verse 14 tells us, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So this high priest's sons, they're out there and they're doing this and they're going about and and proclaiming this. But notice what happens in verse 15. Verse 15 tells us, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? That's a pretty profound thing for the spirit to say, is it not? Jesus I recognize, of course They recognize Jesus. The spirit recognizes Jesus. The demons even know who the name of Jesus is, whom Christ is. Of course they know who Jesus is. And they recognize Paul. Oh yeah, Paul, that's, that's a guy we don't want to mess with. We know who Paul is. We recognize Paul. But they look at these men who are proclaiming Jesus's name, whom they say, whom Paul proclaims. And the spirit says, but you, who are you? I don't recognize you. No idea who they are. And then what happens to those men? This man that has got the spirit inside of him, he leaps on them. And as he leaps on them, he's wounding them. Because verse 16 tells us, the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded, beating on them, wounding them. The clothes are shred off and they they run away scared after what they've just encountered. Clothes are ripped to shred. But verse 17 tells us, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. See, the news of what we just read in 15 and 16 starts to spread to the Jews and the Greeks there in Ephesus. And as the news is beginning to get out to all of them, this fear comes upon them. And it's the fact that the name of Jesus and what is happening, the mere fact these people are superstitious type of people. They're all about the magics and the arts. They're very superstitious. And they're hearing the fact that this happens. This name of Jesus is so powerful that the spirit that is inside of this man recognizes this Jesus. This great fear comes upon them. And it's, it's not this moment of this scary type of fear. It's this awe. It's this awe and this woe. 
Who is this Jesus? It says that fear fell upon them and the name of the Lord was extolled. It was exalted. It was praised. We exalt Jesus for his truth because the truth of Christ and the power of his name, it supersedes all superstitions and lies of this world and the enemy's attempts to derail us. I'm gonna say that again. We exalt Jesus for his truth because the truth of Christ and the power of his name, it supersedes all superstitions and lies of this world and the enemy's attempts to derail us. There in that moment, they're trying to do this thing. They're trying to exercise this demon by naming the name of Jesus, by the, the one that which Paul proclaims. But these people that are trying to do that there in that moment, they don't even know the Lord. They're overpowered and they run away naked and afraid and wounded. We must in our daily lives, we must exalt Jesus for his truth. We must proclaim and demonstrate the truth we must praise God for his truth and what he has done in our lives so that the people that are lost around us, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family, they may see the work of God in us. They may see how we are living our lives in obedience and they may hear the words that we speak that prayerfully will bring them to praise and exalt Jesus themselves. Not only do we exalt Jesus for his extraordinary works, not only do we exalt him for his truth, but number three, we exalt Jesus for the gospel's power. Exalt Jesus for the gospel's power. Verse 18 tells us, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. The power of the gospel. Do you see what it's capable of? These verses tell us just how powerful the good news truly is. It changes the practices of people once they're saved. We can attest to this in our own lives. We were going this way. We encountered Jesus. We repented and confessed Christ, and we began going that way, pursuing him. Those of us in this room, we could probably all give different accounts. Once we came to faith in Jesus and we started living the way of obedience and submission and following him, what happened to the people that we used to run around with? Hey, man, you don't want to hang out with us no more? Hey, we're going over here to, to get some drinks. We're going to the bar. We're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. You coming? Nah, man, I'm living for Jesus now. And it's this, this moment of like, man, you've abandoned us. No, no, no. I've abandoned the life that I once lived because of the blood of Jesus that, that transformed my life. Now I'm walking in this way because that's what he's called me to. That's the power of the gospel in our lives. And these people, they're seeing it. The good news of the gospel is life-changing for them. They're believers that are now saying, hey, we are coming and we're getting rid of these practices. We're confessing them. We're divulging them. We want nothing of them anymore. These people convert to following Jesus and they realize the things that they've practiced throughout their lives were wrong and they're sinful and they needed to give them up. 
needed to flee from it. They wanted nothing more to do with the sin that they were engulfed in. And 19 tells us a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Here again, the gospel changes the people. They go and they burn these books that are up to 50,000 pieces of silver. For us in today's time, that is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of books. And they see the wickedness that they are and they say, we want nothing to do with this anymore. We are for Jesus. We are surrendered to him. We want to be obedient to him. So they burn them. Want nothing more to do with them. That's a lot of value, right? 50,000 pieces of silver for them at that time, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for us today. That's a lot. But that alone can preach to us a message. See, the worth of worldly standards have no value comparatively with the worth of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The worth of worldly standards have no value comparatively with the worth of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel's power changed them so much that they did away with all that they had that countered the message of the gospel, that countered the one in whom saved their souls. I want to ask this question. Are there things in our lives that we need to get rid of? I'm not telling you to go and burn a bunch of books unless you've got a bunch of heretical books. Get rid of them. But are there things in our lives that we need to get rid of? And I mean this. Are there things that are sinful in our lives that we still hold on to that we need to depart from? Are there things in our life that we would even label as good? Put that in parentheses that are good, but they take the place of the priority of God in our lives? Are there those type of things? Only you and I can answer those things on our own, but think through that. Process that even this week. Am I doing too much of this that takes up too much of this time where I could be devoting it to you, Lord? We don't want to have things in our lives that hinder our time with the Lord on our own through word and prayer, but also that hinder the mission. We don't want things in our lives to take the place of being on mission for God. And I don't just mean through serving at the church. That's an aspect of it. We need more people to serve. I don't mean it just in the sense of throwing an event. Events are good. But the most important way that we can reach the lost that are around us is by being on mission daily in our lives. With our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. And the first step to getting there is by walking in obedience to God. 
confessing, repenting of things maybe that are in the way that are hindering that, and then walk in obedience to God. If you're not reading your Bible, open your Bible and read your Bible. If you're not journaling, journal. If you're not praying, pray. Because the gospel's power in our lives is truly, truly transformative. We see in verse 20 that Luke gives this fifth time as he's been going through the book of Acts. He gives this fifth kind of summary progress report. He says in verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I want us to see the importance of this passage. When we, the church, at Holmes Avenue and even our sister churches, but when we, the church at Holmes Avenue, exalt Jesus, worship him, place him in our lives where he deserves to be, and we do so in reading the word, journaling, praying, sharing our faith, the gospel's power continues to transform us and transform our lives as we proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. If we stop and we say, you know, I don't really feel like I'm growing in my faith. Why is that? Are we taking the time to exalt Jesus? Are we taking the time to say, Lord, I just need to be with you. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. None of us have it perfect. But I want you to remember last week when Pastor Walter was talking, he encouraged all of us to go and read from 1 Corinthians. If you hadn't had a chance to, I want to encourage you to do so. As you're reading through there, one of the verses that sticks out is 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. It'll be on the screen. Paul's writing and he says, I planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. A prayer is that we would exalt Jesus daily in our lives, through our spiritual disciplines, in order for the planting and watering to take place. You see, it's only then that we will see the Great Commission fulfilled in this generation. When we truly put God where he is and love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love those around us as ourselves. We know the power of the gospel in our lives. We've, we've all experienced his transforming power. But are we growing? Are we taking the time? I, I think about that in the context of our community and we wanna see our community reach for the gospel. I pray that's our heartbeat. We want to see our community and those in our daily lives reach for the gospel. And sometimes we may stop and we may begin to pray, Lord, we ask you, God, for revival. We pray for revival to take place. And that's a good thing to pray. But as I was studying this week, I came across this quote from A.W. Tozer that really hit me hard. He says, have you noticed how much praying for revival 
has been going of late and how little revival has resulted. I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. Now, don't mishear what he's saying there. He is not saying that prayer is important. Prayer is very important. We know that. We believe that. Something that we cling to. But I wrestled with that for a little while. I was like, wow. How many times has that actually happened with us? We've prayed and we've asked God for revival. But once we've been praying and asking that, have have we sometimes just taken and put our hands in our pocket and say, all right, God, Make the revival happen. And I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not anything. This is serious. This is questions I've asked myself this week. But if we just stopped and said, God, where are you at? Are you going to cause revival to happen? Or what's going on? How many times have we done that rather than being obedient? Still praying and begging God for revival, but being obedient. Being in his word. Praying sharing our faith with those that are lost around us. Literally being the ones that are going and planting or watering or maybe even being the ones that see God cause the growth. I pray that we are desiring to walk in obedience to God. Remember the opening when I talked about the fire, that campfire? I'm thinking like, where are you going with this, Brian? You see, Paul, is, he's been on his journey in doing this. He, he's like that fire. I heard Mark Halleck um, in one of his books. He's a pastor out in Colorado. He gives this example of a forest fire, which kind of brought to light this idea of the campfire for me. With a forest fire, it, one little ember can go out, and before you know it, with the dryness and everything of the ground, a huge forest fire can erupt. We've seen it on TV. If, if you have a love and affection for Gatlinburg, Tennessee, like I do, you saw what happened there a couple years ago when the fire ran rampant through there. But with a forest fire and something like that takes place, all it takes is a little spark. And when that dry wood gets hit, and I thought about that with that campfire and how it caused that illuminating. And I think about Paul and Paul being like this fire for the Lord. Everywhere Paul went, the light continued to grow because God was doing a work through him. But it wasn't just Paul sitting back and saying, all right, God, do it all. Paul was being obedient. Paul was doing the work that he was called to do. And for each and every one of us in this room or listening online, each and every one of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, we have that flame. We have that flame. The question is, is it gotten down to more of just a little soft ember that almost seems like it's about to go out? Or are we living our lives in a way that we are so passionate about God and we want to be obedient to him and we want to serve him that everywhere we go, it's like this forest fire erupting because it illuminates around us. We are lights in the dark. We must walk in our daily obedience to the Lord and exalt his name in word and deed so that prayerfully the Lord will use us in incredible ways for years and years to come for the glory of his name. So I want to do this. 
I want us to stop for a moment. I want us to just reflect. I want us to pray and ask God, truly pray. Don't, don't just close your eyes, please. Truly pray and ask God, Lord, reveal to me what I need to do next. Be silent for a few minutes and then I'll pray. And I'm gonna ask the worship team, don't come up yet. When I start to pray, just wait. I want you also to spend time in prayer. And then when I say amen, they'll come up. It may be a little awkward silence for, for a couple of seconds. It's fine. And then we'll sing the song Exalted One. Talking, exalted overall, excuse me. Talking about Lord Jesus and our worship of him. But I want us to truly ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do next? Because I believe just like Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, God will do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. I believe he's going to. But we have to say yes. We have to, as our friend Adam Spurlock says all the time, give God a blank check with our signature on it. Here you go, God. That's not about giving. It's about with your life. Here I am, God. I want to be obedient to you. So I just want you to ask the Lord what he would have you to do. And my prayer is that we would all exalt him in our daily lives in ways like we never have before. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us, the helper through this journey of life. Lord, continually right now, Matthew 6 is coming to my mind. And Lord, in that model prayer, you tell us to say, hallowed be your name. And ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, you are holy. God, you are worthy of our praise and adoration. God, we are so eternally grateful for you and what you have done for us. We were your enemies, but you intervened. You sent Jesus to die in our place. 
Who are we, God, that you would be mindful of us? Oh, but God, we are so grateful that you are. We pray, God, that your kingdom truly would come here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as we wait for the day until Jesus returns, God, may your church be on fire for you in a way like never before. Lord, may we be so focused on bringing you the glory and the honor and the praise that you are worthy of that we don't worry about anything else that may fall from it, Lord. God, that we would say, I am glorifying the Lord Jesus in my life and walking in obedience today and every day moving forward. We know, Lord, that there will be hiccups, there will be bumps, there will be sin, but God, I pray that it would bring us to confession and repentance, God, and that you would do a powerful work over everyone within the sound of my voice and listening online. God, that you would use your church in a way, God, that leaves us in awe to where we just, all we can do is worship you. Lord, you are worthy. And Father, we love you. Father, for each and every one of us, Lord, whatever it is that you may be telling us right now, when we say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Holy Spirit, make it clear to us. And may we walk in obedience. If there's things we need to confess and repent of, Lord, bring us to our knees in confession and repentance. Lord, may our hands be open and say, God, whatever you want, may your will be done. Father, I pray, God, that you'd have your way in us. And I ask this in the name of all names, King Jesus. Amen.